Good morning. My name is Ken, and I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Church. And um, my wife asked me if I was nervous. I'm like, I mean, you get a little nervous when you're standing in front of a group of people. I said, but not anything unusual. I said, why? She's like, well, this is the first time you're speaking since the announcement. I was like, well, I am nervous now. So she gave me this encouraging advice. She's like, don't try to be funny or smart, just be yourself. <laughs> so I guess myself is not funny or smart. So this is, is going to be myself today. We're in a series called Like a Good Neighbor. And if I were to ask you, do you consider yourself a good neighbor? Most of us would say yes. I thought I was a good neighbor. Like I'm not a, I'm not a bad person. Now, I know that's me telling you I'm not a bad person, but I, I don't think that I'm a bad person. I think I'm kind and generous and loving. That's, again, I'm biased about that. But when we do, like, stories in the Bible, I don't know if you're this way, but I do this. Sometimes I'll put myself in the story and I'll pick a character. I'm more like this character than the other characters. Now, I don't ever say that I'm Jesus, okay? I, walking on the water, yeah, I do that. I walk on water and the wine thing, I can do that at parties. No, I'm never Jesus, but I'll try to pick a character that I sort of identify with. Like the first week, we talked about the Good Samaritan. Now, in the Good Samaritan, I'm the Good Samaritan, right? I'm not, I'm not the robbers, haven't beat anybody up and robbed them lately, so I'm not them. But I didn't consider myself like the religious person that would walk by and, and leave a person there stranded until last week. So after the service, I'm driving home, and I've got my list of things to do. Uh, first was to get gas, so I go to BJ's because I get 15%, or 15 cents off every, every gallon. I'm like, that's, that's a sweet deal. They've already got low gas anyways. I turn the corner, and there's a car on the side of the road. Uh, the back side of the car, all the stuff's out on the side of the road, and there's this young kid, and he's trying to get the back wheel off. Now I'm thinking to myself, that was a great message, man. Great message on being a good neighbor. But I'm in white shorts. Last week was the 4th of July, so I bought me some nice white shorts. Had a nice new red shirt on. And I'm thinking, this is not the attire to change attire. And this kid's young. I'm sure he's got, I mean, he's got half the stuff done already. And so I just sort of just kept driving. I'm having this conversation in my head. I'm arguing with myself and God because I feel like I should stop and be a good Samaritan, let alone a good neighbor. And I kept telling God, I'm in white shorts. You know, like, you know what these shorts are going to look like? But don't you hate, like, when the, the Holy Spirit starts giving you Scripture? He's like, uh, you are, you're, you're the good Samaritan? You're more like the religious leaders that saw the guy stranded on the side of the road and kept walking by. I'm like, ouch. And then James chapter 1 came to my mind. Doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. I'm like, fine, God. So I turn around. I'm like, I'll just ask if he needs help. He's a young kid. Um, most likely, he'll say he's all set, and I've done my good deed, right? Let's be honest. That's, that's what I was hoping for. So I pull around, and I say, hey, man, uh, you need some help? He's like, yes, I do. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I said, what's the problem? He's like, I can't get the lug nuts off. So now I'm like, oh, I get to show him my old man's strength. Because this is a young kid. He's got muscles. I'm like, so now he's going to see what real strength is like. And so I'm like, it, it, it would not move. 
So I call AAA. And AAA comes, and even the impact gun that the guy from AAA had wouldn't loosen the lug nuts. He had this long, like, six-foot bar that he got a lot of leverage on, and finally he cracked him, and he was able to get it off. But my point is, in the story of the Good Samaritan, I thought I was a Good Samaritan until an opportunity came to actually be a Good Samaritan. And I don't know that I was a willing Good Samaritan, sort of a reluctant there. Is that okay to be honest? That didn't want, am I, so my shorts are still clean. Someone asked after the first service, what were your shorts? They're still clean. I tried, but I try not to get dirty as well. Um, but a lot of times we will hear a good message, we'll hear a good story. We put ourselves in, in the Bible like as a character, but when reality comes, we're not like that in real life. And so we're talking about a good neighbor. And if you want his business card, his name's Julio, Julio, I'm sorry, Julio. He's putting himself through college uh, and he cleans homes. So I took his business card, going to hit him up, see what he'll, I actually, I helped him out. So maybe he'll give me a discount. That's what I'm hoping for, right? He's like, hey man, I helped you on the side of the road. Can you give me a discount? But if you want his information, his young kid trying to put himself through college, uh, you can come see me. Uh, but so today, as we're talking about being a good neighbor, we're talking about hospitality. Hospitality is a key, one of the main keys in being a good neighbor. So when you think about hospitality, what comes to mind? For many of us, it's like the hotel industry, like they're known for being hospitable, bringing their guests in, uh, a restaurant. Um, there are other industries that they make their living on being hospitable. But a good definition that I looked up of hospitality is this. It's just being friendly and generous, uh, whether it's with, through food or drink or, or other amenities, to visitors, guests, and strangers. It's just simply being kind to visitors, guests, or strangers. There's a Greek word. The Greek word uh, uh, hospitality is mentioned four times in the Bible. Only four times is the word actual hospitality mentioned in the Bible, but the concept is all throughout the Bible. But it's uh, phileho exnelia, uh, two compound words, Phileho, you might know, um, it's brotherly love. You have Philadelphia that comes from that. It's brotherly love. And the ex nihil, which I hope I'm pronouncing correct, is to love strangers. So hospitality is the love of strangers, the love of, of guests. So I said that the, the word hospitality is mentioned in the Bible, but the concept is all through the Bible. Being generous, being welcoming, uh, being gracious. Jesus actually said it's a distinguishing mark of those who say they follow me. He says this in Matthew chapter 25. Then the king said to those on his right, come to you who are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. That's the hospitality. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And they're going, like, when, when did we do that for you, Jesus? I don't know that you've ever been, like, on the side of the road sick. When did we do that for you? And then verse number 40, he says, when you did it to the least of these, you've done it to me. So Jesus is saying one of the, the marks of those who follow me should be hospitality. Hospitality is actually one of the qualifications for someone who wants to be in leadership at church, whether that's a deacon, pastor, or people in service. In Titus chapter 1, verse 8, 
Now, Titus gives a whole list of qualifications for an elder or a pastor. I'm just going to start right in the middle where it talks about hospitality. In verse number eight, it says this, rather he must enjoy having guests at his home. Now, it doesn't say hospitality, but a, a pastor, a leader should be someone who welcomes guests, strangers, visitors into their home. That's usually not a qualification that you see a pastor being disqualified for. Usually it's a moral failure or some kind of um, teaching error. And they're like, ah, this guy doesn't need to be on the stage anymore. They never check, does this guy really like people? Does he like people coming into his house? But, but it's one of the qualifications of someone who is leading a church, an example. It is an example you see in the early church. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says that they met from house to house, enjoying food together, and even the Lord's Supper. That was hospitality. That was one of the marks of the early church. And hospitality is one of the first ministries of the church. Before kids, before they had grace kids, before they had the, uh, the parking lot and all these other ministries, hospitality was one of the very first ministries. Acts chapter 6, uh, verses 2 and 3. These are the 12 apostles that are meeting. They're talking. It says, so the 12 called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word, not running a food program. Uh, and so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit of wisdom and give them this responsibility, this ministry, this opportunity to show hospitality to, to these widows. And so what I want to do today is I want to share with you three reasons why hospitality is so important for us in being a good neighbor. And here's the first reason. First reason why hospitality is so important to being a good neighbor is because hospitality reflects the character of God to our neighbors. Hospitality reflects the character of God to our neighbors. God is a very hospitable God. Now, I don't know what your experience is, has been with church or people who say they follow Jesus. I know there are people that say, you know, I've been to a church and it didn't feel very welcoming. I went into a church and they're supposed to be loving and accepting and I didn't feel that way. And that might be your experience. But I want you to know that's not the heart of God. God's heart has always been to welcome and love people. In Genesis chapter 12, uh, very early on in, in the Bible, we see this. Uh, God is going to call to Abraham um, to, be, to bless the nations through him. Look at verse number one. It says this in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to a land that I'm going to show you. I will make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and make you famous, and you will bless others. He says, I'm going to bless those who bless you. I'll curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth, all nations, tribes, all people groups are going to be blessed through you because I'm going to bless you. The purpose that God blessed Abraham was to draw all nations to himself into a relationship. That's God's generosity. And God is still using people today to reflect his generosity to, to others. God invites them into a covenant relationship, which is the strongest type of bond in relationships. He tells Abraham, I'm going to give you a home. Now, he left his father's home, and God says, I'm going to give you a home. And eventually, it's fulfilled where they're, get, they're given the promised land. 
He gives them his presence through the tabernacle and, and through the temples. And physically and spiritually, he fed the children of Israel food. So everything they needed, everything that encompasses uh, hospitality and generosity, God is modeling for them so that they can be that for other people. I mean, there's no other act that encompasses hospitality like a meal, like sitting around and breaking bread. You see this all through the scriptures. Abraham provides a meal for strangers that come to him to tell him, your wife is going to have a child. The first thing he does is he's like, let's sit and eat. David welcomes Mephibosheth, who's King Saul's uh, grandson, his enemy, the guy that tried to kill him, into his palace and to eat at his table. That's not something that you would do. You do it for family, but you wouldn't do it for anybody else that's not family. But David's reflecting the heart of God. The prophet Elijah provides a meal for the army who's trying to kill him. Now, I don't know that I'd do that for someone trying to kill me unless it like delays them trying to mur murder me. Then maybe I'll do that. It's like, okay, maybe I can talk them out of it, you know, sweet talk them, maybe give them something. They're like, oh, this guy's a good guy. Let's not kill him. Then I would give them a meal. But to feed somebody that's actively trying to hurt you, that that's not the first thing that I, that I would think of. And built into the law that God gave to the nation of Israel is how they were to live their lives was if you were a farmer, you would not harvest the corners of your crop. You would leave them. And anything that fell, you would leave. You wouldn't pick it up. You would leave. The Bible says, for strangers and wanderers through your country. Again, God's saying, these people may not know who I am, but I want them to know that there is a God that through his people loves them. And you're going to do that in a very tangible way. You're going to allow them to take your crops from, from your fields. The invitation to a table and a meal is a powerful picture in the Old Testament, but its greatest fulfillment is in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Son of God, also models hospitality. Someone once said that in the three years that Jesus ministered to people, he was either going to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal. And maybe that's why Christians like food so much. I don't know. We're just trying to be like Jesus, right? But think about it. As you read the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the accounts of the Gospels, Jesus is always at tables. He's always around meals. He's always around people. Think of his very first miracle. Do you guys know what his very first miracle was? Water into wine at a wedding. He invites himself over to Zac Zacchaeus' house. Now, that's, that's being very intentional about being a good neighbor, right? Like, I'm coming to your house. Um, I don't think that we should do that. <laughs> Provide me a meal, I'm coming to your house. But I think he was, the, the point that we can learn from that is that he was intentional about drawing relationships. Jesus used banquets and he used meals and he used um, food as an illustration for spiritual application. He talked about a banquet. Because one day, uh, Revelation chapter 19 talks about all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus will have a banquet at the Lamb, of the Lamb. And so, tables and communion and fellowship and generosity is part of God's plan. And Jesus embodied hospitality. So much so that the religious leaders, uh, they, they, they sort of like didn't like him for that. Like that was a negative that they, they thought was a negative towards his ministry. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is talking to them because they're comparing them to some other people. 
And Jesus said this, uh, the Son of Man, on the other hand, giving the contrast, feasts and drinks, you say, so he's a glutton and a drunk because he eats with tax collectors and sinners. Because I'm comfortable around people that you won't talk to, you're calling me these things. But here's, here's the thing that I think Jesus is wanting us to learn. As you look at Luke, in the first couple of chapters of Luke, he does some pretty miraculous things. Uh, in chapter 4, he heals Simon's mother-in-law. She was sick, and he heals her. Chapter 5, he heals a paralyzed man. Chapter 6, he, he heals a, dis, a man that is disformed with his hand. Chapter 7, before this story, uh, he raises a widow's son. All these things are supernatural. And if we're to be like Jesus, you're like, well, I've never raised anybody from the dead. Um, I've never healed anybody. I've prayed for healing. But these are supernatural things, and everybody wants like the supernatural. But then Jesus goes to this meal with people. And sometimes you think, well, that's just a break in his ministry. He's done all these miraculous things, so he needs a break, so he's going to have a meal. I would submit that that wasn't a break from ministry. It was a strategic part of his ministry. Because that's stuff that we can do. Like I, like I said, I haven't walked on water, haven't turned water into wine, but I can eat. Like that's something I'm good at. Had a lot of practice at it. And you don't have to have this spiritual gift to be able to be generous or even hospitable. It took as much spiritual intention to heal someone as it did to dine with someone. And so Jesus is giving us, in a real tangible way, ways that we can minister and demonstrate the character of God. But here's the real danger. The real danger that we must guard against is that the longer you follow Jesus, the less likely you are to hang out with people who are far from Jesus. And when you think about it, a lot of times, when you don't know Jesus, I mean, all your friends are people just that don't know Jesus. And the and the danger can be is as, as you walk with Jesus, the longer you walk with Jesus, that circle of friends gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And so the chance of you being generous or hospitable to people who are far from God, we've got to guard against that. And that's what Jesus was teaching us when he ate with people who uh, were far from God. Showing hospitality to our neighbor reveals God's love, loving character. Here's the second reason why hospitality is so important. It reminds us that we were once strangers. When we show hospitality to others, it reminds us that we were at one point outside the family of God. Now, I have a picture that I'm going to show you on the screen um, as an illustration. So if you play soccer, you might know who this person is. Anybody know who this person is? What's his name? Do you know his name? Yeah, I... Put him on the spot. I hate when people do that to me. I'm sorry. It's Sadio Mane. Sadio Mane. Okay. And the reason I show you this picture is uh, he's a phenomenal football, football, football player, soccer player. Makes over $10 million a year. Look what's in his hand. It's a cracked iPhone. And this is how his story sort of made national news. And that's how I heard about it is people were wondering why, why is this guy who makes millions and millions of dollars every single year. Why is he walking around with a cracked iPhone? It's not like he can't afford a new iPhone. And so they interviewed him and they asked him why. And this is, this is his quote. He said, why 
would I want 10 Ferraris? And I'm thinking, why not? <laughs> if you can afford it, which he could. He says, why would I want uh, 20 diamond watches or two jets? He says, I prefer to help my people back home build schools, hospitals, and feeding centers. Every month, he gives 75 American dollars to everybody in his region in his hometown. Now, there's a guy that remembers what it's like to grow up poor. He remembers. And I think sometimes we forget. Once we get inside something, we forget what it's like to be outside. You remember what it's like to be the, the new kid at school? And you walk into the cafeteria for the very first time? That's the most, that, that is the scariest place your first day of school. Because you're like, I don't want to sit at the wrong table. Because they'll ask you to move and you'll forever be known as the kid who sat at the wrong table. Or you're going to sit at the wrong table and now be known as the kid that associates with, the, you know what I'm saying? You remember what it was like when you were the first, when you were the new person at work? Like, who do I talk to? Who can I share things with? When you were the new family in your neighborhood or in your apartment complex, do you remember what that was like? Do you remember what it was like when you came to church the very first time? Like you walked in the doors, whether it was Grace Church or another church, and you're wondering, are these people normal? Come on, right? Like, are they, are they cuckoo? Like, is the pastor, is he, is he going to be funny or smart, or should he be himself, right? And you, all these questions, like, you're, is God real? And you're wondering, like, what, you have no idea. And now that you come to church, sometimes you forget when someone new walks in what you felt like when that was you. And all Jesus is saying through hospitality is it reminds us that you once were that person. And how you felt and what you wanted to receive is what you should be giving. And that's, what, that's simply what he said to the, the nation of Israel in Leviticus chapter number 19. He says, do not take advantage of foreigners who live in your land. Treat them like family, is what he's saying, and love them. Remember, you were once foreigners living in a foreign land called Egypt. You remember what that was like, children of Israel? You remember how you were treated? Remember what you felt like? So don't treat strangers like you were treated. But he also says that to the church in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, don't forget that you were once Gentiles outside of God's love. He says, you were called uncircumcised heathen by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it only affected their bodies and not their hearts. He says, in, in those days, uh, you were living apart from God. You were outside. Uh, he says, but now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away, but now he has brought you near. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us. He has, he has brought us near, those that have accepted him, and now he's wanting us to love and to be hospitable to people who are far from him. And our motivation, the strongest motivation, is not guilt. It's gratitude. I don't have to stop and help this person. I actually get to stop and help this person. Because you know what? In the road of life, I've been broken down. I've had hardships. I've been unable to fix things in my life, and God has brought a good Samaritan in my life to help me. And because of that, 
I want to help or I should want to help other people. Jesus has given himself as living water to those who spiritually thirst. He's given us a church home as a temporary home and an eternal home for eternity. He has welcomed us into his family when we are far from him, and he's given us a new identity. This is radical generosity that God has given to us, and that's something that we should demonstrate And 1 Peter says, without grumbling or complaining. We have been graciously loved and received by God, so gratitude, not guilt, should be our strongest motivation for receiving and loving strangers. The third reason why hospitality is so important is because it creates a natural context for sharing our story, how Christ has welcomed us to our neighbors. The purpose of God blessing Abraham wasn't just to make him wealthy and rich and happy. It was so that he would be a blessing to other nations. And our purpose of God rescuing us and bringing us into his family is not just so that we're all set. It's so that we can be hospitable and loving and generous to others. Hospitality is gladly given to strangers. That was the definition of hospitality. But biblical hospitality goes a little bit step further. It's not just inviting somebody into your house. Biblical hospitality is an inviting a stranger, a guest, into your heart, into your life. It's just a little bit more than just, hey, here's a meal. God bless you. No, it's I'm going to be hospitable, and I'm going to invite you into my space for the purpose of loving you and taking care of you. Hospitality opens ourselves up to others. It encompasses the deepest sense of welcoming, accepting, and loving others. And we as an individual should model that and live that, and we as a church should model and live that. To help you do that, there's an acronym that we got from a friend of ours. He's a pastor in Chicago. He shares this with his church, and it's called BLESS. And it's going to be on the screen. You can can write it down, but it's, it's the word BLESS. So it starts with B, and the B stands for begin with prayer. He couldn't say pray because you don't spell bless with a P. So begin with prayer. And that's important because I think many of us, we can be hesitant to stop and help somebody on the side of the road or invite that neighbor that's next door to us to our house. So we can be hesitant. But Romans chapter 12 tells us to look for opportunities to be a blessing. And so begin with prayer. He shares this story, um, and there is a book, and I'll, we'll, we'll share a link with you in, in a minute, but there's a book, and in the book, I, th- I believe he shares this story where he presents this to his church, and a guy in his life group comes back and says, I got this crazy story because I've been praying and asking God to show me uh, an individual that I can bless. He goes, I was at the mall. And this is in Chicago. He's at the mall. And he goes, I'm walking through the mall, and there's this guy that's sitting all by himself around this fountain. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, go talk to him and tell him that God loves him. Now, guys, is that weird for you to go up to another guy? I mean, that would be weird for me, like going up to another guy going, hey, God loves you. And I'm a pastor. That would, that would still be hard for me to do. And so the guy goes, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And so he walks by. He doesn't do it. Uh, does the shopping, comes back by, and the guy's still sitting there. And again, he has this, has this 
Holy Spirit going, go talk to him and tell him God loves him. And I think like two or three times the guy goes, I'm just not doing that. That's weird. I don't want to be that weird religious person that makes people uncomfortable. Like no one likes that person. I don't want to be that person. So finally he gives in. He's like, okay, I'm going to go talk to the guy. And it's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable, but I'm just going to tell him that God loves him. So he walks up to the guy. He says, I'm not a weirdo. I'm not crazy. I don't hear voices. But I feel like God wants me to tell you that he loves you. And the guy's like, that, that's amazing. You're like the fourth person that's come up to me today to tell me that. And that, to me, that's, that's really amazing that, that four other people said yes to what God was saying in their life. And I don't know what God was doing in that guy's life, but he had four opportunities to say yes to Jesus. And I think that's awesome. But that doesn't happen if you're not praying for God to help you to see the reality of the people who need uh, help around you. So be praying for that. The L, L stands for listen. When you're, when you're having people over, listen. We all know that person that likes to talk about themselves a lot. And they're only listening to you so that they can interject their story. They, they one-up you, you know what I'm talking about? And when you're talking, they're not listening. They're waiting for you to take a breath so that they can jump in and start talking about themselves more. Don't do that. Be the person that sits there and listens to the person share their story. Because around a table, people are more vulnerable. They're more willing to talk about their lives. So simply listen. Jesus, he was a, he was, he was a master at that. And people would pour out like their deepest, darkest secrets to Jesus. I'm not saying they're going to do that with you, but like Jesus was so welcoming. They felt so loved by him. They were willing to talk about even the most broken parts of themselves. So, so, so listen. The E stands for eat. It's simple. If you can have a meal, uh, it doesn't have to be like a seven course, you know, it, 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 it could be just coffee. Uh, it could be just a cookout. It doesn't have to be this big meal, but eating, many life groups have some kind of snacks. There's something about eating that puts people at ease to have conversation. So don't gloss over this. Don't be like Martha, who misses the heart of Jesus because she's, she's, do, she's doing all this other stuff. Be present uh, even in the meal. The S stands for serve. Once you've listened to a person, you've heard their story, you're going to know how best to help them. My wife's really good at this. We have neighbors that live underneath us, uh, Samantha and Jason, and they've had conversations. They're, they're talking, and somehow she heard that they were going out of town. They must have been talking about it, and she's like, we'll watch your cat. We'll go feed your cat. And that's, I know it's something that's hard to ask somebody. We haven't lived there very long, maybe a year, year and a half, to ask someone to, to, to come into your house and feed your cat. Now, we ask them to do that for us, and our cat's just of the devil. So um, she's afraid of our cat. She likes us, but she's afraid of our cat. But, but because she heard they were going out of town, she knew they had a need. She offers, I'll, I'll come down and I'll feed your cat. When you hear people's stories, you know how to best serve them. Jesus did this all the time. And then the last letter in bless is S, and that is to share your story. Once you've, once you've had a meal with them, once you've You've learned all about them. Once they know that you generally care about them, then share what God has done in your life. 
It's not the first thing you do. You don't jump out of the gate. Um, when I play golf, a lot of times I'll go out by myself, and I don't jump out of the gate. It's like, hey, you're playing with the pastor today, so watch your language. I don't, it's like, I don't want to play with this guy anymore, right? I, eventually, at some point during the round, hey, what do you do? I'm a minister. And then they're like, oh, they're thinking back of all the things they said. I'm like, don't, don't, worry, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I've got kids. They say worse. No, just kidding. I'm like, no. Um, but I don't, I don't lead with that because I don't want people to be uncomfortable. But at some point, once you've had a relationship with somebody, it gives you the, the ability, the credibility to be able to say, this is what God did in my life. And it's not weird at that point. To lead with it is weird, but to wait until it's natural, it's, it's not weird at all. It's actually very powerful. That's what Jesus did. Uh, there's an ebook. Uh, there's going to be a, uh, a link. I guess there's a, a number you can text if you want the book. Uh, it's by Dave Ferguson. And not only does he give you the words, but he gives you stories and ways that you, know, you can make it a part of your life. But the story, there's a diagram. And I know I went out of order, sorry. But there's a diagram. Uh, if you don't know how to share your story, if you've never done that before, uh, take a picture of this diagram. This diagram is a tool that I use to help me share the gospel with someone who's far from Jesus. It shows that before Jesus, you're on this side. You're separated from God. There, there, is this, there is this gap. And you can ask them, how do you think you get from this side to this side? And many people say, well, just being good, going to church. They'll have their, they'll have their idea of how you get from one side to the other. But then you can share with them from the Bible what the Bible actually says a person has to do from going from death to spiritual life, from being out of fellowship with God to being in fellowship with God. And it's something you can do on a napkin and give to them and say, think about that. Read those verses and see what, see what it says to you. So we do have this link. Um, if, if you want to get the blessed, the little ebook that'll help you maybe be more intentional about being a better neighbor, I encourage it. It's a, it's a short read and it's really, really good. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Hospitality is important for us being a good neighbor. It helps us to reflect the character of God. It reminds us that we once were outside the family of God and what that felt like. So we know what people who find themselves in that position, what it feels like. And hopefully it makes us more sympathetic and patient and kind to them. But it also gives us a natural platform to be able to share with them what Jesus Christ has done in our life. And maybe you're here today and you feel like you're disconnected from God or that he's not hospitable to you. And maybe it's because you've had a bad experience or whatever. I want you to know this, that's not God's heart towards you. He actually has done everything necessary for you to be in a right relationship with him. But like any invitation, it has to be accepted. So if that's you today, I'm simply going to ask you, say yes to Jesus. Say yes to his invitation to be a part of his family. What does that look like? It looks like not trusting in yourself and in your goodness to be right, right, right with God, but trusting in Jesus' goodness his sacrifice on the cross to pay for our debt that we owe and simply asking him, I want that. God, I'm grateful 
that you are a hospitable and loving and caring God. And you've modeled that throughout the scriptures in different ways and through different people. And you've also showed us people in the Bible that didn't do it well. God, we want to be people who love people well, our neighbors, people that might be stranded on the side of the road, whatever the case might be. God, help us to demonstrate your love to them in tangible and real ways, whether that's through helping, serving, kindness, a kind word, whatever that looks like. And God, for the person who feels disconnected and maybe doesn't feel loved by you, God, I pray today they would accept your invitation and receive your love. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.